we're in our series uh, on Explore God, and we've been talking about several of the questions that uh, deal with Christianity and uh, God and the person of Jesus. And this week, uh, we come to the question of, is the Bible reliable? So before we get started, I just want you to, to you know, close your Bible for a second. I want you to hold them up as such and say, this is my Bible. I am what it said. I'm just playing. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> don't have to do that. Sorry. If you did do it, don't worry. Nobody was looking for it. That might sound familiar to you, if it doesn't, then don't worry about it. Um, <laughs> so, we're talking about the Bible today. We're talking about its reliability. And by reliable, I mean trustworthy, accurate, honest, dependable. Can we as Christians or skeptics, wherever you stand at this morning, can, can we trust this book to be accurate and dependable about what it communicates to us? About God, about us, about uh, truth, morality, history, this world. Well, the answer to that question is yes, and I hope to be able to prove that uh, that point this morning during this time, but the reality is that I've only got 40 minutes to do so, and books upon books have been written and are currently being written about this very question, and so uh, I just brought two of them for you, so uh, for your further research. Uh, these are good, easy-to-read resources, and uh, they spend a good amount of time and research attempting to answer this very question about the Bible's reliability. And so uh, these books talk about can we trust the Bible? Is it reliable? And the first book that I have here today is, is Kevin Young's book, uh, Taking God at His Word, Why the Bible is Knowable, uh, Necessary, and Enough, and What That Means for You and Me. Uh, and this book, it covers everything that you uh, want to know about the Bible. And uh, it's also, it's not very big at all. And so you can actually get the audio book of this and finish it in just a few hours in the car or uh, at the gym. I really recommend this. And I also recommend this book, uh, Greg Gilbert's uh, Why I Trust the Bible. Uh, this is also a great book, and Greg Gilbert does an excellent job of covering all the historical and theological arguments uh, for the reliability of the Bible. So. Uh, definitely get these. These are worth your time. If anything, the bibliographies in these books are massive. They're super. They will, if anything, point you to resources uh, where you can dive in and grow your understanding about the Bible's reliability and why you can, why we can trust it. And so, uh, you definitely can get these on Amazon for for a good price. You can get them used for nothing. You can buy them uh, and support these brothers in their work in the ministry. And so, uh, again, you want to get those books. So we, we try to move on to the question of, is the Bible reliable? And again, the, the answer is yes. And the reason that this is such a, a popular question for many people, maybe you've had conversations like I've had with people about the Bible, and they seem, honestly, more readily uh, willing to accept the existence of God or the person of Jesus, but it's when you bring up the fact that you believe the Bible, that you believe it's trustworthy, that you believe it is without error, that you believe that it is the very word of God, that people seem to get a little bit more hesitant. Wait, you believe in this ancient book as a, as, as a guide for your life, to, to, to you submit yourself to it in, in faith and in practice? That's where it gets murky for people. And uh, they, they, many people believe that the Bible is myth or fiction or that it's wrong or inaccurate concerning certain information that it contains. And so these objections, they weren't always the case concerning the Bible, because before many of these objections were made, the belief about the Bible has always been, and it always will be by Christians, by both those who wrote the Bible, taught it, and submitted themselves to it, that its contents were true and perfect and without error and incapable of error. And so again, this wasn't just a concept invented by Christians. 
This is a belief that flows from the pages of the scriptures themselves. And so today we'll attempt to prove this answer through just looking at four points. Four points about the Bible's reliability, and then we'll spend the rest of our time answering the question of why it matters that the Bible is reliable. And so again, the points that we'll cover here won't help. The points that we'll focus on here won't cover all of the objections to the Bible's reliability or the entirety of this topic of Scripture, which is again why you should get these books. But uh, the four points that we will look at today are, are uh, concerning why we can trust the Bible. It is one, we can trust what the Bible says about itself. Two, we can trust the process that has given, the, given us the Bible that we have today. Three, we can trust the Bible because of its historical reliability. And four, we can trust the Bible because of its uniqueness. So let's just go ahead and, and jump into this. What is the Bible? Before we start with this first point, we should just ask the question of, of exactly that. What is the Bible? The Bible is a compositional library of 66 books that are written by 40 different human authors over the period of 1,500 years. The genres of books that comprise the Bible include law, poetry, history, prophecy, biography, and letters. The Bible is made up of two major divisions, Old Testament and New Testament, which focus on the history of the nation, the, the people of Israel, and the life and the ministry of the person of Jesus Christ, and the teaching and the ministry of his earliest followers. And so in addition to this basic description, the Bible itself can also add to this description of what it is, which leads us to our first point. We can trust the Bible because of what it says about itself. So concerning its content, the Bible tells us about the one true God who is creator and ruler over everything. It tells us who this God is, how he has acted in creating and sustaining the universe. It tells us about his laws and his requirements and how we, as his creation, are to respond to him. Furthermore, the Bible's contents also claim to be the very word of God, his special revelation that he gives us in addition to the general revelation that we see throughout nature and the things that he's created. The Bible is God's special revelation to us and the way that he speaks to us. And so throughout several books of prophecy in the Old Testament and the New, the phrase, thus says the Lord, or God says, is recorded, meaning that it's, this is God who is speaking directly through the prophets. And so Jesus, who we focused on last week, who is the Son of God, God in the flesh, Jesus himself, his words and his teachings are the very words of God contained in the Bible. And even throughout several of Jesus' teachings, Jesus referred to the words of the Old Testament as being spoken directly by God. Furthermore, passages such as the one that we just read in 2 Timothy chapter 3, which, were, which was written by the Apostle Paul. Paul states that all scripture is given by inspiration of God, which literally means that it's God-breathed. Which means that although we've attributed uh, human authorship to the Bible in one sense, it ultimately has God as its supreme author. And this is according to his own claims. And 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 16 through 21 confirms this when it says that knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And so maybe you're sitting here today and you're thinking, so are you saying that we should just trust the claims of the Bible about its being the Word of God primarily because it says it's the Word of God? 
Well, if so, how do we just support the collective? How do we support these claims of truthfulness and reliability that the Bible states about itself? Can we just say that we believe that the Bible is reliable because it's God's word, and it's God's word because it says it's God's word, and because it says it's God's word, then therefore the Bible is reliable? Well, some would say that, that uh, maybe that sort of argument is circular in reasoning, which would be a, a fallacious way of proving something. And, and it is to a degree. Although uh, a circular form of reasoning isn't always wrong or even unavoidable. Because honestly, whenever anyone argues for any ultimate authority, such as the Bible or any standard of truth, the appeal will always be made to that ultimate authority for proof. If you attempt to prove reason as authoritative and true, you'll appeal to reason in doing so. If you attempt to prove logic as true, then you'll likely employ logic in order to prove that. So in an effort to prove that the Bible is God's word, it would be inconsistent with that belief if we were to appeal to something of lesser authority in order to prove the Bible's higher authority. And so listen, ultimately, in order to believe and affirm the Bible's claims of itself as God's word, we must be persuaded by God himself through the scriptures and what the Bible says about itself. And in looking at the scriptures, then we can be informed by it and compare its claims to what we see and experience in this world. Is it right about our perception of God? Does it speak truthfully about our perception of this world, about ourselves? If we disagree with certain things that are in the Bible, are we willing to examine the Bible's claims and examine that it could be correct and ourselves incorrect? These are the questions that we can come to the Bible with, and so this leads us to our next point. So if what the Bible says about itself is trustworthy and, and, and reliable and it's the Word of God, then how has it come to us? How do we even get the Bible that we have presently, the, the Bible that you and I are looking at today? Well, to say it briefly, it was written. And I'll just go ahead and say it up front. We don't have any of the original manuscripts of the books of the Bible. And because of that, many people conclude that the Bible's claims, therefore, of truthfulness and infallibility must be false. Because if we don't have the originals, then all that we have are copies. And copies of copies, which means that after thousands of years and translations and copying and potential corruption, then there's really no way to tell what the original manuscripts said. So the question is, if that's the case, then is it even possible for the copies that we do have to be reconstructed to give us a, a true picture of what was originally written? So I would argue, yes. We can trust the process that has given us the Bible that we have today. And so just to break this up in three parts about this process of how the Bible has come to us and, and how we see the Bible that we have today, we'll just uh, go through three specific things. The manuscripts, those who copied and wrote the manuscripts, and the canon. And so the place to begin if we're to get any idea of what the scriptures contain is with the copies of the manuscripts that we do have. Concerning the Old Testament Hebrew scriptures, there again are no original manuscripts today, but there are over 10,000 manuscript copies and fragments that date from 250 BC to 1100 AD. Some of these manuscripts were found in several codexes, but many of the most recent manuscripts and fragments, which include parts and complete copies of every Old Testament book, except for the book of Esther, they were found in the Dead Sea Scrolls in 1947. 
So prior to that, our oldest manuscripts were found in the Masoretic text, which came a thousand years later than the Dead Sea Scrolls, and they're largely in agreement concerning their content, even though being copied a thousand years apart. And so to put it in perspective, last week I quoted Tacitus, a Roman historian who lived during the first century. Historians, they only had 20 manuscripts from Tacitus, and the earliest manuscript is from 1100 AD, which was a, a thousand years after Tacitus originally wrote. The Bible gives us gives much more credibility in its manuscripts. And so again, the accuracy from the copies of the manuscripts of the Old Testament books is striking. For example, a man named Lucian Archer states that even though the two copies of Isaiah discovered in Qumran Cave 1 near the Dead Sea in 1947 were a thousand years earlier than the oldest dated manuscript previously known, they proved to be word for word identical with our standard Hebrew Bible in more than 95% of the text. The 5% variation consisted chiefly of obvious slips of the pen and variations in spelling. They do not affect the message of Revelation in the slightest. In quote. So concerning the New Testament, New Testament manuscripts, although again we don't have the originals, we have some 25,000 partial and complete manuscripts and copies of the New Testament, many that are written within two to three centuries of the original autographs. Again, this is significantly more copies than any other ancient writing. Homer, Aristotle, Plato. Furthermore, the Codex Vaticanus, considered to be the most exact copy of the Bible. And the Codex Synacticus were some of the oldest and most important manuscripts that contain the majority of the Old and New Testaments. And those are still around today. So, moving on, this kind of manuscript agreement and quantity concerning the Bible points largely to those who were responsible with copying its contents. We see the scribe for the Sopharim, the, the, the Zubah, or these were pairs of textual scholars. The Talmudists and the Masoretes, these were all highly trained teams of textual critics that took great caution to detect scribal errors, and they were, uh, they were highly trained in avoiding copying mistakes. The Sopharim were generally older men who copied the letters in the Torah. They counted all the letters in the Torah as well. The Talmudists had rigorous disciplines for transcription that included instructions for the kind of animal skins to be written on, the color and the kind of ink, the recipe for it that, that, that they would use for the ink, even what to wear and how to bathe before copying the manuscript. And they also had strict manuscript format formatting requirements. The Masoretes were so systematic in their copying of manuscripts that they would literally count the consonants and the number of words and letters in each book and also calculate the middle word and middle letter of each book. And when compared to the original, if a copy's middle word and letter didn't match that of the original, it was destroyed. Each of these teams of copyists also thoroughly believed that what they were transcribing was the very word of God, and therefore they took great care and caution to ensure that what they recorded was with great accuracy. And so we've seen the manuscripts, we see the scribes, and next we look at the, the canon. Lastly, the books that we see in the Old Testament and New Testament appear 
They appear they're not due to their selection by an isolated group of individuals uh, in order to try to make something to be the word of God, but due to their historical witness and credibility as God's word to his people, these books were always seen and viewed as God's word. We often refer to this catalog or index of books that's contained in each testament as the canon. The Old Testament canon was established in the 4th century BC after the Jewish people believed that the voice of the gods of the prophets had ceased. The Old Testament that we have today in our Bibles is the exact same as the Old Testament canon prior to the 1st century. It's the exact same as the Hebrew canon. This would have been the same Bible that Jesus himself believed was the word of God and many other extra-biblical figures such as Philo and Josephus and Melito, who was the bishop of Sardis, Sardis, they also affirmed this as the Hebrew canon. The New Testament canon that we see was assembled ultimately for the benefit and the edification and the needs of the early church that sought to continue on in the teachings of Jesus and the apostles. The earliest list of New Testament canon of the New Testament canon came from Athanasius. An early church father who affirmed and, and included each of the 27 New Testament books that we see currently. Shortly after that, Jerome and Augustine, who were also church fathers, affirmed the exact same list. And prior to and even after these men, many other church fathers and figures such as Irenaeus and Ignatius and Polycarp and Justin Martyr and Tatian and several church councils, they even reference the New Testament books as scripture in their writings, or they quote them directly as such. So if there are so many manuscripts, if there's such disciplined action and attention to detail for the copies of the manuscripts, and if there's so much affirmation from ancient sources, Christian and non-Christian, then why, why the hate, why so much shame on the Bible from historians and scholars about the Bible's reliability? I mean, again, we don't have any of the original manuscripts or even the Bible or any other ancient historical documents. And we have far less manuscript evidence uh, for, for all other uh, figures of, of history that wrote uh, after the Bible. For people that have been through, whose historians have no problem validating. So why the Nazi on Scripture? Well, a philosophy professor named uh, Richard Perthel states the following concerning modernists and their doubting of the biblical accounts. He says, quote, if the biblical narratives do not contain accounts of miraculous events or have reference to God, angels, etc., biblical history would probably be regarded as much more firmly established than most of the history of, say, classical Greece and Rome. But because the biblical accounts do mention miracles and do involve reference to God, angels, and demons, etc., considerations other than purely historical ones come into the picture. So in short, modernists don't believe in miracles is supernatural, which is about why the Bible often is discredited by that. The Bible's reliability, historically speaking, is, is taken to task by modernists because of its inclusion of supernatural figures and events. And so this brings us to our next point. We can trust the Bible because it is historically reliable. So firstly, the fact that modernists discredit the Bible due to miracles speaks more of their biases than it does the credibility of the Bible. Those who reject the Bible because of uh, the supernatural approach to the Bible, not with neutrality or objectivity, instead, they read the pictures of Scripture through the lenses of naturalism or whatever worldview that they hold. 
Many reject these supernatural events because they defy the law, the laws of nature. But even just a closer look at the laws of nature will show us that they only describe how natural events occur and therefore can't be used to, to, to rule out the supernatural. Objectors to the Bible often attempt to subtract or explain away supernatural events rather than simply acknowledge what is in the text. And so, to, to prove the historical reliability of the Bible, I'll just point out two things quickly this morning. Archaeology and prophecy. And for time's sake, I won't sit on archaeology too long because ultimately it won't prove that the Bible is God's word. It will just prove that it contains historically factual events. But historical accuracy is important because if the Bible is God's word and God cannot lie or commit error, then the facts of history must be recorded accurately in the Bible. And so, just to quote the words of the late Joseph Reed, who's an archaeologist and chairman at the, of the Department of Archaeology at Lee College, he states, quote, that in the 19th century, the biblical critic could hold with good reason that there was never a Sargon, a person who was mentioned as Isaiah chapter 20, verse 1, that the Hittites either did or did not exist or were insignificant, that the patriarchal accounts had a late background, that the sevenfold grandstand of the tabernacle was a late concept, that the Davidic Empire wasn't as extensive as the Bible implied, that Belshazzar never existed, and that a host of other supposed errors and impossibilities existed in the biblical record. Archaeological discoveries showed, on the contrary, that Sargon existed, that the Hittites not only existed, but were significant people, that the background of the patriarchs fits the times indicated in the Bible that the concept of a sevenfold lampstand existed in the early Iron Age, that a significant city given in the record of David's empire lies far to the north, that Belshazzar existed and ruled over Babylon, and that a host of other supposed errors and contradictions are not errors at all. End quote. Just some examples of that host that he was saying that many believe contain errors and contradictions. A list of those things would be the city of Sodom and Gomorrah, Jericho, and evidence for the empires of Saul, David, and Solomon, all verified through archaeology. And so concerning the New Testament, archaeologists have found that the books of Luke and Acts, with their particular attention to detail, to be afforded, they found them to be authoritative sources for their excavations, concerning uh, finding out things about the Roman Empire and the, the times during the days uh, surrounding Jesus and the early church. And so, in addition to archaeology, the Bible's prophecies concern confirm its historical reliability. No other sacred religious text contains the number of prophecies and the fulfillment of prophecies that the Bible does. The Bible contains hundreds of predictions fulfilled in some cases even hundreds of years, hundreds of years after they were originally prophesied. Pagan rulers such as Cyrus are called by name 150 years before he's even born. Cities have been predicted to be destroyed. The specific details concerning the life and the ministry of Jesus were told centuries before he fulfilled all of them. Jesus himself even predicted the destruction of the temple and sacking of Jerusalem by the Romans in AD 70. Daniel, a prophet in the Old Testament, prophesied about Alexander the Great 200 years before he conquered the Medo-Persian Empire. Daniel also prophesies about the Babylonian, the Persian, the Greek, and the Roman empires. And listen, these are just a few of the over 2,500 prophecies uh, spoken of in the Bible, mostly fulfilled. 
Again, they all point to the Bible's words not originating uh, from the minds of humans, but from God. As Isaiah records in his, uh, as he speaks prophetically, he says, Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts. I am the first and the last. Besides me there is no God. Who is like me? Let him proclaim it. Let him declare and say it before me, since I appointed an ancient people. Let them declare what is to come and what will happen. Who says these sorts of things? Not Muhammad, not Buddha, not any other sacred text. Certainly no human author has ever, ever taken these kinds of words upon themselves and then backed them up with such precision. This leads us now to what we see here in the Bible is unique. So why is the Bible alive? Well, actually, we can trust it because of its uniqueness. So we've zoomed in quite a bit over the last several minutes from the claims that the Bible has made, its manuscripts, its history, its prophecies. And so now let's just zoom out again and take a look at the uniqueness of the Bible overall. The Bible is unlike any other book within this text in the history of the world. With the Bible, we have a book written throughout the course of a 1,500 year span. Written by over 40 different authors, including politicians, kings, generals, philosophers, fishermen, musicians, shepherds, scholars, and tax collectors. The Bible was also written on three different continents during various time periods, through various personalities experiencing various different emotions and moods. And yet it records the footprints of God's plan of redemption to save his people throughout all of his books, throughout all of his pages. Even in the diversity of its authors and its content, every book of the Bible points to the person and the work of God's Son, the promised Messiah, Jesus. Furthermore, the Bible is written in three different languages, and it's yet again it's made its way to over 600 million people, and it has survived for centuries of its, the most severe attacks from its enemies. Its extinction has been predicted several times. Copies upon copies have been burned and destroyed under the command of pagan ancient rulers. It's been picked apart, scrutinized, misused, abused, and vilified. And yet it's greatly influenced societies in language, in art, literature, legislation, morality. And even more, its influence has shown itself greatest in the lives of those who have encountered the Bible as God's Word. Just from the pages of the scriptures, we see Saul of Tarsus who went from having an extensive knowledge of the Old Testament and even persecuting the earliest Christians for heresy. He goes from that to seeing the entire Bible, seeing that it points to the person and work of Jesus. Or the Augustine of Hitler. A man who was engulfed in lust and his own desires, who, upon picking up the book of Romans, was changed by what he read about the gospel and became one of the most influential theologians in church history. Read at John Newton. A slave trader. A man who saw the heinousness of his sin in trafficking individuals. He saw the heinousness of it through the pages of the Bible and was powerfully changed upon encountering the amazing grace that he read about recorded in the scriptures. 
Listen, we can add numerous other names to this list, but perhaps the greatest evidence of the Bible's words is the change that it's had on people like you and I. See, when we once wanted nothing to do with God, it was God's word that overcame the opposition of our hearts. Not a dream, not not an experience, but God's word that spoke to us. In our temptations and sins, in our struggles, in our sufferings, we must confirm that it has been God's word through God's spirit that has given us strength, peace, and comfort that nothing else in this world can bring. Even in my own experience, I can remember growing up, knowing and reading and listening to the Bible being taught, knowing it extensively. And yet I remember the day that its pages came to life for me, that it exposed my sin, that it revealed who God was, and that it drew me to the grace and the acceptance with God that was found through Jesus. No other book has had such a powerful influence on my life. Some of you in here and out there throughout history can say the exact same thing. Again, why would you need this? Or any of these other points that I've just pointed out, it doesn't prove that, they don't prove that it's God's word, but they certainly can give us confidence that what we have in the Bible, in its contents, what we see here is no ordinary book. It makes certain claims about itself, and unlike any other religious text, it backs them up powerfully. We historically verified. So now let's just transition to the, to the next one. Hopefully, I've made a case for why the Bible is reliable, why it's God's word. Again, if this is something that you wrestle with or struggle with, I encourage you to research it. Study it. Read the claims of those who objected and, and those who affirmed the Bible's reliability. And ultimately be convinced by the scriptures themselves. And so, as it is with most of these explore God's sermons, the information above again is all conventions. By itself, it won't convince us. All the questions that we've looked at, they, they've been great questions. But it always seems that there's a question beneath the question that seems to be more personal. And so the question that uh, would be that today for us is, well, why does it matter that the Bible is reliable? Why does it even matter? What difference does it make uh, for us if the Bible is reliable? I was reading a book on this topic recently, and the author gave an illustration that I thought would be uh, pretty helpful. It involves Winnie the Pooh. A character that my son seems to just loathe. We have this little Winnie the Pooh stop that I'm at the house, and all the rest of them, he's cool with, but when I bring out Pooh, he just kind of gives me the, the, the frown up face, and he just doesn't like Pooh for some reason. So I was hesitant to use this, but this author made a great point through He says, Perhaps you remember Winnie the Pooh, the honey obsessed bear who lived in Ashton Outfields. He faced a similar question uh, concerning reliability. Here he is, staring at a jar and wondering if he can be sure of what's inside. When we posted the book, it said, uh, the jar said it had honey written on it. But just to make sure, uh, who took off the paper cover and looked at it, and it, it looked just like honey. But you could never tell, who said. I remember my uncle saying once that he had seen cheese just this color. So who put his tongue in and took a large lip? Yes, he said. You hear, you know, whose voice? 
the Mohawkish. Yes, he said, it is. No doubt about that. The author's point is that on the outside of the jar, we can confirm that the Bible says it's God's word, so we can look at it. And on the inside of the cover, we, we see that the Bible is not just looking at it, but reading it. We can look on the, on the inside of God's pages, and, and it looks like something that only God could have written. Some of the things said in here. The question is, can the Bible prove to be God's word? Can we experience it as God's word, as who experience the reality of the honey by tasting it? And the answer is yes. And the Bible invites us, as Psalm 34 says, to taste and see that the Lord is good. So why does it matter that the Bible is reliable? Because it means that this is how we know God. If the Bible contained errors or inconsistencies, what would we know about God would be questionable and unsure? And if the Bible were not reliable, where else would we find information about God? Certain and true information about God. Sure, nature and general revelation would only take us so far, but it would leave us like spectators looking at a car manufacturer's vehicle, attempting to discern his or her personality. It's from the pages of the Bible that God reveals himself to us. He reveals his nature. It's in the Bible that we see that God is good. That he is powerful, that he is righteous, merciful, loving, sovereign, omniscient, omnipresent, and holy. He reveals this by speaking through the prophets of the Old Testament and ultimately, supremely speaking through his son in the New Testament, as the book of Hebrews chapter 1 tells us. Furthermore, the Bible's reliability matters because it informs us of our relation to God and his influence upon our lives. It tells us that he created us. We didn't create him. It speaks to us, it speaks to us about God's requirements and the standards and his standards and how we respond to him and how he interacts with us. The scriptures, they speak authoritatively to us, telling us how we worship God and submit ourselves to his words. It tells us that it's through adhering to and obeying God's word that we find meaning and joy and fulfillment. See, an unreliable Bible would leave us searching for meaning and, and doubtfully testing the fences of, of an un, unknown deity or deities with no joy, with no certainty, with no peace. And don't we find this to be the basis of so many other religions in this world? So just look at Psalms chapter 19. If you want to turn there, that's fine. I'll go ahead and read it. Verses 7 through 11. It says that the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing in the heart, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and drippings as a honeycomb. Moreover, it is by them that your servant is warm. In keeping them, there is great reward. Again, we see here that the Bible reaffirms its own reliability. This is what we can know about God's word. This song tells us that it's perfect, that it's sure that it's right, that it's clean, that it's true, that it's righteous altogether. 
we can describe God's word in this way, not just out of knowledge and not just because the Bible says this and because these descriptions are true, but out of our experience with God's word and what it produces in our lives. Because God's word is perfect, we can trust it to revive our souls, and it does. Because it is sure, we can trust it to give us wisdom. We can rely on it to warn us. Because it is right, it gives us joy when we trust in it. We can know that it will enlighten our eyes. In Psalm chapter 119, 191 says that it is a light to our feet and a light unto our path. Furthermore, this is what we can know and believe about God's word that is is reliable and trustworthy. The verse 10 tells us that we can feel a certain way about it. In light of its truthfulness, its purity, its clarity of rightness, and what our relying on God's word produces in us, this generates within us a strong desire for it. And therefore, when we rely and trust on God's word, it takes priority in our souls. When we see it's verified through testing it, tasting and seeing that the Lord is good, seeing how we receive joy and peace and wisdom, Take priority in our souls above all other things. Above the gold, above the silver, above the satisfaction that is promised in all, in all other things. So the question for us is is this how we feel about God's word? Is this how you feel about God's word? Do you desire it? Do you sense and see your need for it? Or do we desire the words of others and what they promise us? Do we attribute perfection and truth and surety and rightness to the words of someone or something else? Perhaps we rely more upon the words of a professor or a politician or a relationship, looking for trustworthiness in the words of science or history or reason or money. And through these things, have our hearts sought ultimate joy, ultimate satisfaction, ultimate enlightenment and rejuvenation. In our quest to find surety in the fleeting words of the world around us, the Bible gives us, as 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 19 says, a more sure word. One that is more certain and strongly confirmed. The words of God. And so next to the reliability of the Bible matters, because it's how we know the truth about us. No other religious book or system keeps it 100 with humans as much as the Bible does concerning the reality of sin and its damaging effects. The Bible hails nobody as good except one. And this truth is consistent throughout, the, throughout every book of the Bible that's recorded some of the most heinous sins in human history. And just when we're convinced that God chooses a, choose a good person, we're always confronted with that person's sinful humanity. Abraham, a friend of God, lies to a villain. Moses, the servant in God's house, loses his, his temper. David, the man after God's own heart, takes another man's wife and has him killed. Even from the womb, the Bible tells us that you and I, we go astray from God. This isn't the case with the Quran or the Book of Mormon or the philosophies of other religions. You aren't as bad as you think you are is what they proclaim. You aren't that bad is what they tell us. Because the Bible is alive, we can be sure that we are in the bondage of sin and the judgment of God for it. 
Because the Bible is reliable, we can know that this uh, world is the way that it is because it has been subjected into futility because of the sin of our first parents. And so in addition to telling us God's standard and his requirements, the scriptures also tell us of our inability to keep his commands. It tells us that the Bible is reliable because it truthfully and accurately describes our condition as those who reject God and fail to meet his standard. Bible's reliability matters because it ultimately tells us about God's plan of redemption, of the redemption of his people through his son Jesus. As a historically reliable document, the Bible gives us the clearest picture of Jesus. It tells us his words, his ministry. In the Gospels, we see the high view of God's word that Jesus had. He says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 18, that until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. He says later in Matthew chapter 24, verse 35, that heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Jesus also says that when the scriptures speak, God speaks, and that he also states that the scripture cannot be broken. Jesus believed that the scriptures ultimately pointed to him. Listen, this morning, if you are a follower of Jesus, this is ultimately why we believe that the Bible is the word of God. Because Jesus, God in the flesh, believed that it was the word of God. We can't truly call ourselves followers of Jesus if we don't share his view about the scriptures. So furthermore, the Bible not only introduces to us Jesus as a man, but Jesus as the very word of God. John's Gospel describes Jesus as the pre-existent Word, who is God and who, through whom all things were made. John tells us that God's Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, entering into this world to live with us, to share in our experiences, to make to be like us and be made like us in every respect, as the book of Hebrews says, and yet he was without sin. But we fail to keep God's precepts. When we dislike instead of delighting God's laws, Jesus keeps God's commandments perfectly. God is pleased in the perfect obedience of his son, Jesus, and he delights, Jesus delights in the Father's will. In short, Jesus fulfilled the law. Matthew chapter 5 states that, Jesus states that I have to abolish the law of the prophets, but to fulfill them. And the Bible's reliability matters to us because it tells us that he did this in our place. Paul writes that God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh uh, for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. See, through his perfect life, Jesus has fulfilled the law in our place. And through his death, he has given his life as a ransom for many. His body was broken on the cross for the penalty of our sin, and his blood was poured out for the forgiveness of our sin. In one of the Bible's greatest prophecies, Isaiah declares hundreds of years before Jesus that Jesus will be wounded and pierced for our transgressions, wounded for our iniquities. That when the Lord is pleased to crush him for our sin, that he will make an offering for our guilt. And this is why it matters that the Bible is reliable, because it tells us the message of the gospel. It tells us the truth about the holiness of God and the justice and wrath that he pours out on sin. It tells us the truth about ourselves and our condition, weakened and dead in our sin, unable to do anything to change ourselves and change our condition. And it tells us about Jesus, 
The God of the flesh who offered himself as a sacrifice in the place of sinners, bearing the punishment that we deserve. It tells us about his resurrection three days later and his ascension to the right hand of the Father. Only in the gospel, in the pages of the Bible, do we hear about how the love of God makes a way for the justice of God to be satisfied so that the grace and the mercy of God can be extended to undeserving sinners, giving us the forgiveness of our sin, acceptance before God, life, joy, and peace with Him. You will not hear this news anywhere else. And perhaps from anywhere else but the Bible, this message will only sound good and yet remain largely unverifiable. But the reliability of the Bible powerfully stands behind this good news. Because the Bible is God's word, we can trust in the gospel and its power and be confident that it will save us, that it will refine us, that it will give us joy, that it will give us wisdom. And we will stand condemned before God. And we will have life with him forever. And we can have the refreshment of our soul, the ultimate satisfaction in obeying and loving and serving God. So, in conclusion, the greatest evidence for the reliability of the Bible and why it matters is its power to change lives. Paul tells Timothy 1 verse prior to 2 Timothy chapter 3 verse 16 that it is the scriptures that make us wise unto salvation. It is through God's imperishable, living, and abiding word that we're born again to a new life. It is this word that will remain forever when all flesh withers, and when all, like, all flesh withers like the grass, and the words of all others. This morning, as we now transition to the next point, of our service. Take a moment to reflect on God's word. Today, if you are a follower of Jesus, reflect on the passages and the things that Jesus says about himself. Reflect on Isaiah 53 and what he says about Jesus hundreds of years before. Reflect on what God says about his word. And just take a moment to reflect on how you've seen God's word as reliable in your life. How God's Spirit has worked through His Word to convict you of sin, to remind you of the grace and forgiveness that you have through Jesus. Today, as we reflect on Him, think about the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus. We know that through God's Word, He has done this for our sin, so that we might have acceptance and joy if you're not a follower of Jesus today, remain to see. Just watch as people come forward who trust in the goodness of God and the grace that He has shown in the field of Jesus. As you remain to see, pray, talk to God, open a Bible, read some of the passages that we looked at today, and be reminded and see the goodness of God.